You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor. Joined by Shotgun Spratling. We're here for another episode of the podcast. I'm excited, Shotgun. Are you excited? Uh, the spring football is almost over, so I don't know if there should be excitement about that or it's kind of a disappointment that we don't get a little bit more or what, where exactly we should fall necessarily there. Yeah, we're kind of in a weird gray area right now because the spring showcase is over, but there's still a week left of practice. Yeah, that's kind of strange. But, I mean, if you want to talk about the spring showcase, we can. The thing is, like, it, it, it was a showcase so that it could be on TV, but it was basically just another practice. Okay, hold your horses, mister. We're not we're not into the meat of the podcast yet. Oh, so well. as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us and we'll include those in the show. Thank you to everyone who has done that. Shotgun, do you want to start Giving your general thoughts about the spring showcase, or shall we just get into stock up, stock down? However you want to do it. I'll let you be the host of this show. Okay, let's get into stock up then. Who you got? I'm gonna start with Drake Jackson because oh yes, that's an automatic. Yeah, when you start with the when you talk about the spring showcase, that was the spring showcase. His one handed grab. He also had a sack earlier in the in the in the uh, same drive, I believe, or, or maybe the drive before that. But you know, he was phenomenal. The the one handed grab and to take it back. You know, he caught it on the 48 yard line. He took it all the entire distance. What I don't know if you really call it a 48 yard touchdown, considering. There's not an end zone on that end of the field, true. so Very true. Um, that got changed in one of my stories. I was kind of upset about that, but uh, you know he, he did take it to the house, and, and you know the the reaction to, of the other players tells you how good of a play it was, because Jack Sears finishes that drive. He threw the interception. He thought he had a window basically on a screen pass, wide receiver screen pass, and Drake Jackson was just too athletic for that window. And I, I can't, I don't think you can fault Jack Sears too much for this interception because. It looked like there was clearly a path, and he was getting rushed up the middle from a, a different defender. But he throws it out there. Drake catches it one-handed. But there's like one or two other plays left in the drive. They finish up the drive, and Jack Sears immediately goes to the other quarterbacks, and he's just like, he's like, my, you can see him like pantomiming the the interception. He's like, did you see that? <laughs> because wow. he was super shocked by it himself. Uh, because there was it was an incredible play, and just shows the athleticism that Drake Jackson has, and. That he could be a big playmaker for this team, even though their defensive line, which I also have them stock up, has been really good and is really deep. So finding a way to get him on the field is going to be something that USC, both Chad Kay and Clancy Pendergast are going to have to figure out because he's a guy that so far we've seen is making plays. And if he's continuing to make plays in the fall, you got to find a way to get him on there, figure out a way to get him into the games and so he can make an impact in the games as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Luckily, I had a great view of that play. The rest of the spring showcase, not so much in the in the media oh. pin. Sadness, oh. sadness. Um, but I can just say he was on my stock up last week. Mm-hmm. So props to me for that. I kind of <laughs> took your stock up from last week, I think, because because I also have John Jackson on there. Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, he he had a nice catch and could have been a touchdown. It was kind of a, a touch on the hip before he uh, you know split two defenders and took it to the distance. He also, you know, getting a chance to, for him to talk yesterday, you know, you just every time you see him, and obviously we have a pretty good relationship with him from covering him in seven on seven and different things. But every time you see him speak again, you see him continue to play, 
you just get more and more impressed by the kid. I mean, he's handling a tough situation with his, with you know, his father had a stroke in in December and going through that situation while he also had to go through the situation of sitting out a year basically and, and coming in as a gray shirt and, and joining USC. You know, as a he's been a year removed from high school now joining the team. Uh, you know, he is out there making plays and part of it is that they are so thin on wide receivers. I think JT Daniels told me that. Graham Harrell said that at North Texas he had 20 receivers to run their their offense, and he said they have seven right now, and that includes a couple walk-ons in there. But so that tells you the difference. And he, he told me actually it's it's a blessing and a curse. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit on, on heard it later. But you know just the fact that there's so there's such a, a depth issue there. He's getting those opportunities. He's made the most of them. Got to give him credit for that. You know he looks faster than he did in high school. You know he's, he's worked on his speed training and stuff. He's looked really good, and I think he's a guy that's earning more and more opportunities that, you know, especially if they go four or five wide, which you haven't seen too much of so far this spring, but if they do, he's a guy that could be in the mix to get one of those inside positions. Yeah, I've been impressed with him on the field, but also just talk to, talking to him for the first time. You know, some freshmen, when you talk to them for the first time, they're a little taken aback by the size of the media scrum, the how much they're getting peppered with questions, but he just handled it like a pro. And, you know, he's wearing his dad's number. This is He said it's a dream come true to be on the field, but the the contrast of what's happening with his dad while that's happening is really hard. I mean, it's hard for him to talk about it, but he handled it well in the scrum. So stock up for him. Uh, good kid, and we're rooting for him. Yeah, definitely. I have Dom Davis mm. on stock up. I thought when he's come back from injury, so he had like a muscle uh, syndrome type of injury where he just, he. I talked to him for a little bit. He said his calves just, they felt like they were going to break at a point. Like they just got so tight. Um, yeah, it was weird. Uh, but he's back, and so far I thought he had a great week when he first came back. And uh, he the the media pin was a little divided on what actually happened, and the Pac-12 Network didn't actually play it. Yeah. Um, Yogi Roth said it was an interception. Clay Hilton said it was stripped uh, from Devin Williams and his post-practice presser. So, Dom, this, this was one of those plays that happened on the other side of the field yep. where there were players in front of us in, in the bodies in front of us. So we were trying to see through guys. And it was on the other side of the field. He let's just say he had a turnover that yes. he returned for a touchdown. Yes. Yeah, so Dom, it was either a strip and a you know a strip and a scoop and score or a interception, just depending on I guess how you saw it from your vantage point. Because Joey Ross said that he was also on the same sideline that we were on, so it was across the field for him, and he was setting up an interview. So I don't know that he saw had the greatest vantage point of it either. And because they did not show it on Pac-12, because I went back and watched the replay. Uh, you know, didn't, we don't know for sure, but he had a he had a turnover return for a touchdown. Yes, so he did that. Um, he's a guy where you know he started off as on offense, switched to defense. You know, had injury troubles, got kind of lost in the shuffle of the depth chart. He's a guy who you thought you think in his last year, his redshirt senior year, he could probably get lost in the shuffle and not really. I would get demotivated if I were him, but I feel like he's still trying to to make a name for himself, and this is a depth chart right now where you can try and do that. So stuck up for him. And I thought he's had, when he's come back from the injury, I thought he's had a good spring. I mean, yeah. he's he's been guarding Michael Pittman a lot of the times, and that's a big size disadvantage there. But he has held his own there. Now Michael Pittman's going to make some catches, or he just is just too big and too strong, and he's going to do that against any defender, not just Dominic Davis. But I think Dominic Davis has been in position a lot. He's coming out of his breaks really well. You know, I think he just he looks like a corner back now he doesn't look like a running back or a slot receiver playing cornerback he looks like a cornerback now and you know I, I think he has an opportunity because you know I, I'm gonna have on stock down uh you know if, if we want to just touch on that real quick I have the the DBs just because as a group or the cornerbacks more than the DBs there's no one really taking that step forward and said this is my job 
you know, similar to the quarterbacks last year when, you know, when Sears and Fink were battling, and you know, hey, JT Fink, I mean, JT Daniels is coming in in the fall. You should be able to try to push yourself ahead and say, you know, I'm the guy to beat going into the fall. And neither one of those guys did it. I think that's the same thing with the quarterbacks because I think Greg Johnson's had a pretty good camp. But I think ITS has kind of been lost in the mix. You know, Dominic Davis has, has played pretty well, but he's only been in there, I think, two weeks now. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think anybody's really said, hey, I'm I'm going to be on one side of the cornerback. I'm going to be a cornerback on one side of the field. I don't care who's on the other side. You guys can battle it out. And I think you're leaving that door open because there's a lot of freshmen coming in that somebody can come in and, and steal a spot because no one has really, you know, just planted their stake in the ground and said, this is mine. I'm, I'm the cornerback on this side. You guys figure out the, the rest of the field. Um, so I think that it's kind of left it open and I got stocked down for those guys. But I think Dominic Davis – Though he has only been out there for the last two weeks, I believe, you know, I think he has, has showed him some some nice things there. And I think he's a guy that could be one of those guys to kind of steal a spot because you kind of expect going into the spring, and if everybody was healthy, you'd be like, okay, Elijah Griffin, ITS on one side, Elijah Griffin, and then Greg Johnson, those three guys are going to be your guys in the rotation somehow. Those two, those two are the guys battling for position, but none of those guys has really taken over a spot. Like I said, I think Greg Johnson's looked good. I think ITS has kind of been lost in the mix. He's got so much upside that he can, you know, take a big jump over the the the, uh, the summer, and he could be the guy. I think Elijah Griffin, when he comes back, he could be a guy. But those guys have to show it, and I don't think anybody has shown it enough to just you know claim uh, one side of the field as as they're 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 the starter on that side. I've also got Marquis Step on on my stock up, which I think it may be stolen off of your list from last week too. I yes, yes, it was, but I also knew you were going to say Marquis Step, so I didn't put it down today. Oh wow! Oh, I see. Um, We got the sibling connection going here. Of course. Uh, You know, Marquis Step had the big run. He had the biggest offensive play in the string showcase. He had a 56 yard run. He continues to make plays, and that's all you can ask from a guy who's you know is coming in as the third string guy. You know, he continues to make plays, and he's a guy that's going to work his way into more and more touches if he continues to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. My final stock up is adaptability Mm. and specifically with the tackles. If you had told me last year you're missing USC's two quote unquote starting tackles, I'd be like, this offensive showcase is going to be not that great. But I thought uh, the efforts by Liam Jimmons and Frank Martin at tackle were pretty uh, commendable, especially because I don't think we would have seen the offense we saw on Saturday if those two guys were there in the past offense. So I think... The ability for USC to adapt to ha- missing um, some some big pillars in their offensive line in McKenzie and Jackson is good. The fact that both of them are back this week is also good. Um, so stock up for adaptability. Also, you're not having Clayton Bradley, so that's your your third. You know, the three guys are expected to battle for the tackle positions. None of those guys were available for the spring showcase. But Frank Martin and Liam Jemmons, who are two guys, you're like. No, I would never even think of those guys playing last year right. to get in there. And that also shows you that they're going to do some things with the offense. And, and granted, the offense was a lot of base stuff. You know, They weren't showing it too much stuff because it was being televised. And you weren't seeing a lot of exotic blitzes or anything because it was being televised. But that shows you that the offense can adapt to make up for weaknesses. You can throw short passes to make sure that you know you don't have to drop back eight steps and, and give you know defensive ends plenty of time to get back to the quarterback if you were playing with two tackles that are your backups. Instead, they threw short passes. You know, they, there weren't a lot of deep shots. There were two maybe the entire showcase, if I remember correctly. I know there was one to Michael Pittman on the left side. I think there was one more over the middle to someone. But the rest of it was 
all within 15 yards. So it's quick passes, and that's kind of the air raid offense. It's going to attack you, you know, attack the soft spots quickly and try to just find grass and keep the chains moving and move the ball down the field. And I, I think that you can, you know, that shows you that they'll be able to, it, even though we go into the season with some question marks about that offensive line, I think the offensive line can still perform because the offense will give them a better chance. Agreed. And and that's those adjustments that you've been clamoring for um, and that you'd hope to see from USC going forward because that's going to be the, the mark of a, a stable and or successful offense. Yeah, and I think it also just shows that the – the emphasis of the offensive line in the passing game, at least uh, with the air raid offense. Yeah, you know, like I talked about previously when we went over just kind of the 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 overarching themes of the spread offense or the air raid offense is a lot of times you just have those roadblock tackles, big guys that you can't get around quick enough when you throw the ball quickly. Um, so I, I think it's going to give this offensive line that doesn't have a ton of experience coming back outside of. You know, you got Austin Jackson and Andrew Voorhees who've been starting for the last two years uh, on and off. Besides that, you don't have anybody with any experience. So I think that it, with a inexperienced offensive line, this offense is going to give them a chance to succeed with those quick uh, uh, passing attacks. And if they can just hold up and make sure they pick up blitzes and stuff correctly, I think they can still have a really good offense. Now, if they can run the ball, that takes it to a different level. And that's going to be the big question mark with this group, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that's it for my stock up. That's all I got, too. We're going to stock down. I'm sad to say, sad to report, that I have no stock neutral this week. It's because they're not, it's not a thing. Anyways. It's a thing. Stock down. What do you got? I'm going to start with John Houston Jr. because this past week, the last three or four practices that I've seen, he's been with the second group. You know, it's been Palia Naitiote and Jordan Iosefa as the two middle linebackers starting with. So that's a big question mark. You know, what what exactly, and maybe it's just they want to see those guys work together you know, there could be a lot of things we haven't heard from Clancy, you know, in a week now. So we don't really know exactly. We haven't heard from Clay to, you know, there was half of his presser on Saturday was trying to get an injury updates. So, you know, there's not a lot of time to ask all the, you know, specific questions about uh, positions and stuff. But the fact that he's playing with the second group, you know, that 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 is a kind of a red flag, a question mark. You know, what exactly is he doing there? And has he been demoted to the second group? I don't know. You, know, you said you thought he was injured. Yeah, I was about to say, so much so, if you go back on instant, I made a note, like, we didn't see as much as John Houston. I'm not sure if that's an injury or not. But no, I think that he had, there has been some type of demotion. But here's the thing. if See, the other thing is, I don't know if it's a demotion. It could be that they trust him enough already that they're just letting the other guys get more opportunity. Maybe, but they're doing the whole experiment. I don't know. Right? It's, it's hard to tell. It is true. They're doing the whole, the whole experiment where we move every single linebacker possible. Yeah, so, because if if so, say you're gonna demote him if he's not getting it done at Will, wouldn't you just move him back to? I mean, sorry, if he's not getting it done at Mike, wouldn't you just move him back to Will? I guess, but it's not like I don't think he's not getting it done at Mike. I mean, he's been in the right spot. I don't, I'm just I'm I'm hypothesizing why he would be why we're seeing what we're seeing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the answer. I, all I know is he's been with the second team. So to me, that's a stock down. If you're with the second team, when you were with first team. Do you think if that's the definition of stock down? Oh yes, that would be true. Do you think if Solo comes back healthy, where does he fit in all this? I, that's the big wild card with that group. I mean, you have seven or eight guys that you at least a little bit of comfort level with. Um, you know, you got guys like Kanai Malga who's with the second team. You get you got guys out there that have played some before. They can be in that mix, and then Solomon comes back and he's a. Big time playmaker, big time hitter. 
but he hasn't shown it yet. Yeah. So we've seen him. Clay said he played practice for four practices and he was felt some soreness in the foot. So they shut him down to be overprotective in the surgically repaired foot. And it's just a big question mark. And you, you start to wonder, is this going to be something that lingers and lingers and lingers, or is it something he can come back from? You know, I think of Chris Gallipo, you know, with the back injury that kind of sapped his, his power, you know, as you know, was a five-star linebacker coming in and, had a pretty good freshman year, had a back injury, and just was never the same. And you just kind of wondered, is this gonna, is it gonna come back? Is it gonna come back? Daniel and Mortar Bebe, those type of injuries where you just you don't see the guy anymore. And Daniel Mortar Bebe, when he came back, you know his his you know not last year but the year before, it just wasn't quite the same. Didn't have the same explosiveness. So you start wondering that about Solomon Tuliapupu. Is he going to be able to get back on the field? And when can he get back and show some consistency? That's going to be the big thing. Once he starts showing consistency, then you start wondering where he fits in the mix. But until he's on the field for two weeks in a row, it's hard to say, yeah, this guy's going to jump in and and be a starter. This guy's going to supplant somebody on the first or second team just because if you're not on the field, how can you show the coaches what you can do? Yeah, and it's officially in the concern category for me just because I feel like this is something that they're not anticipating. I still remember – end of PRPs last year Solo told Chris Trevino and I was standing there he's like yeah no I'll, I'll be back for fall camp like they're just being precautious with me I'm ready to go and then we never saw him and when we talked to him um, on national signing day me and you uh, when he committed um, on national tv at the LA live uh, theater we talked to him afterwards and he made it sound like he was going to be ready for summer workouts then and then suddenly it was okay well fall he'll be ready and then Okay, maybe later, maybe after fall camp, maybe when the season starts a bit. Well, maybe after the season. Well, 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 well. That's what we just keep hearing, and he just has not been on the field consistently. Good thing to see him on the field this spring, though, yes. for some practices because he basically did not practice at all last year. To see a couple of practices out there, that's a positive. Now, once the summer starts, is he involved in the PRPs? How much is he involved there? That'll be a question. And then if he's not, is he ready to go fall day one? And is he there for the first two weeks? If he's there consistently, then we'll start talking about him supplanting somebody. But until then, you got to get on the field before you can take take somebody else's spot. Yeah. The thing that raises my eyebrow is when on the first day of spring camp, Jordan Isaf has said, yeah, Solo's not even supposed to be out here, but he pushed it and wanted to be out here. And it's like, in hindsight, it's like, should he have done that? Oh, man. That sounds like some other linebacker I've heard of before. Uh, border cousin. <laughs> 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 Moving on. I had for stock down inconsistent philosophies Hmm. so as you might have heard uh usc had their spring showcase live on the pac-12 networks and yet fans who came to the spring showcase could not have their phones out they could not have any type of communication with the outside world and us as media we could only film our regular 20 minutes of uh the practice which even though it was being streamed live on the pac-12 networks i understand sometimes you have media agreements you know it happens with games we can only put three minutes of highlights up etc etc but then when you have the contrast of clay helton afterwards and in the his post-practice presser he says we can literally let everybody come in here and watch this we don't care we want we want to be able to set our standard and play to that standard he said other stuff around those those lines but if you're gonna have that that philosophy and be like hey this is who we are it's what it's what we do you're also not following it in the the practical measures. So to me, I don't really like that inconsistency, especially when we're hearing bits and pieces about maybe they're going to close fall this upcoming season. I don't know. So I, I fall camp and, and beyond this upcoming season. So 
I just I don't like the inconsistency. It sounds it's just double speak to me. You're saying like, oh yeah, we'll let anybody. No, there's nobody can watch though if we let them in. Like you gotta wear everybody's gotta wear blindfolds. <laughs> we'll let everybody in, but no one can wear can see bird box. Yeah, everyone has to be blind that we allow in. You know, yeah, well, well they can hear what we're the plays are running and the crunch of pads, but you can't see anything. Like it, it just it's it's inconsistent, like you said, but it's it's double speak. You, you can't say one thing and then in in reality, do something different and expect us to believe it. And that's basically where we're at. We're going to let the media in, but you, you can't take pictures after 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Why? 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 Okay, I'm cutting you off before. <laughs> this is a sore subject for a shotgun. Understandably so, but I don't. It just it doesn't make much sense to, to say that you can watch it live and you can you can actually have a better view if you just stay home and don't watch. And maybe that's what they would prefer. You know, the media didn't come. And they would just stay home and watch it on Pac-12 Network. And then you can control the message, control what is seen and all. Maybe maybe that's the idea. But it just doesn't make sense to me if you're going to have something on national television and say you can't take pictures. I mean, if you want to say you can't take full video, I understand. Like you said, there's you know broadcast rights and stuff to, to certain things. But a still image it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me either. And thus, that is why this is on my stock down. <laughs> Got you. Uh, my my other stock down was the with the cornerback position, and which I already talked about with no one taking over that spot yet. I actually have two more stock downs. Oh, one I had already mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, you know how there's a false start penalty in in football. Yes, I'm putting a flag for false ending flag on the play <laughs> because I feel like spring is over, but we have two more practices as of recording this. So to me, it's a little a little weird. The spring showcase was just another practice. Yes, I understand that. But there was more pizzazz. There was just people in the stands. But the thing is, they've pizzazz. said these these are all open practices, so people can come watch them anyway. So yeah, it's okay. no different. There's just more people there. It was on a different stadium. Deep breath, Shotgun. Different stadium. That's it. Howard Jones versus Loker. Deep breath. My final stock down. <laughs> it's a thought that it has reoccurred, but I'm not fully sure about it. How about that? I'm have question marks about this defense. I'm not sure how the 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 youth and the depth issues and the ex the experimentation that Clancy is doing, how that all comes together and what that looks like come fall. So I'm a little unsure because I feel like I there's so much attention on the offense that I'm not sure that we're fully looking at what the defense will look like in practical terms come game time. No, I I think you can have serious concerns about this defense, especially in the the back seven. Um, you know, what are they doing with the linebackers? How is that going to work? And then you know, complete new five in the back. Uh, so you've had guys that have started some with Greg Johnson and Isaiah Polamau and Talanoa Hufunga, who should be back in the fall. But there are a lot of question marks there. You know, th- there's not a lot of experience in the back. What are you doing with the linebackers? You have confidence in that defensive line. Yeah, and I think it's easy to get caught up in that. And you're like, there's so much stuff on the defensive line. Look at how well Marlon and Jay and Brandon are doing, et cetera, et cetera, Drake Jackson. But then you kind of lose sight of, hey, this, the DBs, that's a challenge. you know. And I, I don't think you really know how much of a liability that's going to be just yet. So in my mind, it's a TBD, but I feel like there's a little bit too much confidence in the defense right now. Oh, that, I mean, 
I understand where you have issues with it. I don't know that I would say there's too much confidence in it because I think there are a lot of question marks. I don't think people, I just think it's being overlooked to an extent. That's essentially what I'm trying to get at there. I, I don't think that people have confidence in it as much as they're just not thinking about it because you're That's looking at the offense. It, yeah. You're looking at the offense and seeing, oh, wow, they completed this pass. You're not looking at it like, oh, wow, they gave up that pass at the same time. Um, so you've seen sacks and stuff and you've seen some interceptions, but. There's just not a lot of – you don't see a ton of pass breakups, I would say. And I think part of that is, again, the lack of depth there. There's only so many DBs that are going – you have basically five guys that are going. So they're out there with the first team, and then the second group goes in. John Jackson makes three catches. You're like, wow, John Jackson had a really good – you forget he's, he's going against a walk-on a lot of times too. So I think it's hard to – just have that confidence in them yet, and I just don't think people are talking about them yet. I think once you get into a game, you see another offense going against them, then I think the concerns will come really quickly if they oh, don't yeah. play well. Game time is is DB critical time. Oh, yeah. Everyone's critical of DBs. No DB is ever good for a USC fan. I know. Iman Marshall knows. <laughs> Iman Marshall at Dory Jackson, you know, his sophomore year, people were like, oh, he's terrible. People were, USC fans are like, he shouldn't win the Thorpe Award because he's not a good cornerback. He's, he's I mean, he was helped definitely by the fact that he was an offensive player too, but he was still a good cornerback. Uh, he wouldn't have gone in the first round if he wasn't. But it, it's that's neither here nor there. But I think that you'll find out a lot more when you see a, another offense just because it'll be different. But I think that people are just kind of forgetting about it because they're thinking like, well, there's a lot of bodies still to come in the fall. And I don't think you really know. It's You can't really be critical of – that guy shouldn't be the starter because no one knows who's going to be the starters right now. So I think that that's why people just aren't as critical of the defense yet because there's not being talked about because there's a lot of things, uh, question marks still to go. I know there's still a lot of moving pieces, but I don't know if those moving pieces, once they settle, will instill confidence. That's a good question. And I don't think they necessarily will, but... I don't think anyone's talking about it now just because yeah. it's 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 TV it's, it's down the road. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's people want to be excited about the here and now, they're not thinking about the future. No, yes one, and no. I think there's some there's no four oh one K for the defense right now. <laughs> That's a great point, yeah. But I think people are just would you say the average fan right now is more negative or positive? I think people are lukewarm right now. They want to be positive. Jaded. I think they're jaded. Oh, they're definitely jaded. Yeah. They want to be positive, so that's why they're kind of lukewarm. And they're seeing the positive things in the offense, and they want to get behind that. I think most fans, if you're a fan of a team, you want it to do well most of the time. <laughs> 80, 90, what do you say, 85 or 90% of fans are want their team to do well. It depends on if tanking is in the sport of your fandom. Oh, that's true, unfortunately. <laughs> no, most people want their they want their team to do well. Yes. Um, and, and so if all things were even, they would want their team to do well. How about that? I would agree. So there's balance. So they want okay, things Thanos. to be positive. They want things to be positive. And so they're they're hoping that the offense is going to lead them to be positive. And that's why I just don't think they're talking about the defense right now. I think it's out of sight, out of mind for now. I would agree. And thus, that is why it's on my stock down. All right. Stock future stock down? Future stock down. I guess future, you could that. future concern portion of the <laughs> podcast. Moving on though. I heard it on the sideline. What do you got? We're on the sideline. Let's talk about Graham Harrell talking about the quarterbacks. Oh, let's talk about it, shall we? I was pretty impressed because someone basically just said, hey, give us an evaluation of where each quarterback stands. And he went off for like six minutes. Yeah, so he basically was asked, where do you see all the quarterbacks? It's the last week of practice where you kind of see them now after spring. 
And he also said later in the thing, he's not. they're not naming a starter after the fall. And he said, hey, if I've been here two years and these guys have been in the system for two years, we can make that decision. But he said since it's four, I mean, it's four and a half weeks now that they've had, they're going to let it ride and go to the fall. And, and then they'll make a decision sometime in the fall before they give, you know, full starters reps to somebody. But he talked about each quarterback individually, all four scholarship quarterbacks. So there's been a ton of uh, improvement. He said they're all different. Uh, you know, you, you talk about athleticism. You talk about Jack Sears. You talk about Matt Fink. Matt Fink, he had some very interesting things to say about him. Starting with, I think Matt Fink, or I think Fink, when he's hot, he can be really special. I was kind of thrown by, back by that because you don't think of Fink being, you know, when that guy gets hot, he's the guy. You know, that's not necessarily what you would think of because he hasn't played a lot and you don't really get that opportunity. Um, so I think he's improved and we've seen flashes from him. You know, the. I think it was a second scrimmage where he had a couple touchdown passes. He finished the, the day off with a, uh, a beautiful ball over the middle, uh, perfectly thrown over a defender. And you see those things. And I, I think the way he talks about Fink makes you think that Fink's more in this race than, than people want to give him credit for. Yeah, I would agree. And he said one thing we talk about with Fink is just being consistent. He's really good when he's on. He struggles when he's off. So just getting that consistency being on all the time. And th- that becomes a question, what are the coaches looking for? Are you looking for the consistent guy? Or are you looking for the guy that can, you know, when he gets hot, can lead you to whatever? And that's when you wonder if someone, if JT's named the starter and JT's having a bad day, do you go to a guy like Fink and be like, let's see if he gets hot? You know, because you, you, you kind of, in baseball, sometimes you see that, you know, well, this guy's struggling, you know, this weekend. Let's put this guy in and just give him a shot and see what happens. And if he gets a hit, you're like, all right, we got to keep him in the lineup. He gets another hit, gets another hit. And you just roll with it until, until it uh, fizzles out. The Angels pulled uh, Fletcher, put in Tommy Listella. He's hit three home runs in the last two games, so it works. Yeah, something like that. So that can happen. So that makes you wonder if, if they see him as that type of guy. If, if if he doesn't win the starter's job, if he's a guy where we need a spark, that's a guy you turn to. That's what I'm curious about is where does Grim Harrell lie as a quarterback's coach slash offensive coordinator where we know Clay Hilton. We know once he has his guy, it's pretty much going to be his guy. Is Graham Harrell a little more itchy trigger finger where he's going to pull that guy quick? I mean, Mason Fine pretty much started the whole time at North Texas. We haven't seen that bounce around, but I don't also know the depth chart battle yeah. there as well. Um, he had some interesting things about Keaton Slovis. You know, he said he's special with his arm. You know, talking about his arm talent there. You know, he's gotten better and better. He does things right. Um, one thing that's helped him, he said, is that the fact that he hasn't learned a different college offense. So he said just being fresh gives him an opportunity that maybe he's not thinking about other things. Uh, Jack Sears, he talked about his mobility, talked about how he's you know such a good athlete, but also said that's a double-edged sword because sometimes Jack Sears, there'll be an open guy and he'll instead pull it down and run when you know he, he has the opportunity where he could complete that pass. And then he talked about JT Daniels and talked about how he's been consistent talked about how smart he is, but also said when he gets in trouble, it's because he's overthinking things and not just reading the play and letting it go. Instead, wants to overanalyze things. And I think I'm trying to find the quote real quick, but uh, he said, if there's green grass over there, just throw it. You know, Just see it and pull the trigger. He said, we don't have to break down exactly where all 11 guys on the field are. And I thought that was an interesting quote um, there. Just if you see the open guy, just throw it. Don't worry about it. Instead of trying to worry about you know, a backside safety on the other side of the field or whatever it may be. And, you know, maybe that's just not the way JT Daniels' mind works. And he said that they're trying to get him not to think about things, just read and react, and also to push the tempo because he said sometimes he slows it down when they're trying to run the tempo they do so that he can 
you know, so that he can analyze everything. So that's an interesting thing. You know, the, the things that he said about JT Daniels, I thought were, were really interesting too there. Um, so, and the order that he went in, if you want to break that down, you know, he started with Jack Sears. He was asked just, what do you see the quarterbacks? Not no, he was giving no, you know, prompt. There was no quarterback mentioned previously. And he started with Jack Sears. Then he went to Matt Fink, Keaton Slovis, and then finished with JT Daniels. What do you make of that, Keely? I, Does the order mean anything? I, I think we're reading into it too much <laughs> if we read into the order, but I can't say that I didn't think about it. I did think about it. I was like, okay. I mean, I thought about it too. I'm like, oh, you just, it seemed interesting because if there was a natural order of alphabetical or. Alpha, who thinks alphabetical at the top of their head? If you see it on your if you're on That's your right, sheet yeah, or yeah. something, or if it was by year, but the fact that it was bounced back and forth makes it very interesting because Fink's the oldest guy, and then Sears, then JT, and then Keaton, and that was not the order. There was no real order there unless you know, it, unless you always wonder like because sometimes coaches will talk a bunch of pe- bunch of people and then they'll forget about somebody and they'll come back to them. But I don't think you're forgetting about JT Daniels. I don't think he's coming last just because you forgot about him. So the question is, did JT go last because you, you save the starter for last? Or should we read into something else? I don't know. I just think it's an interesting exercise to look at the top four guys yeah. and say, okay, which order would you have put them in? And maybe it's just which one came to his mind. It could be as simple as that. Yeah. We're way over analyzing it, but we're allowed to do that. I guess That's the fun part of spring football. That's true. When there's a quarterback battle. That's true. I thought it was just really fascinating that he was that honest with us about it. I feel like sometimes yeah, definitely. coaches will hide that. And he said he had told all four guys what he told us a week ago. So I like a deep analysis of his guys and the fact that he's sharing it with everyone. Um, I also thought it was interesting that the trait that makes each quarterback unique is also works against them. You know, the duality of, of Sears and his running ability. You didn't mention it, but Fink... Carol said he gets too emotional at times, mm-hmm. but he also he's one of the most emotional guys on the field. We see him when when he's not even the quarterback up. If someone makes a touchdown, he's out there running and yelling and celebrating. Um, I mean, he broke his tooth. His freshman, his redshirt freshman, his when he was a true freshman, his true freshman year at Washington because he was so hyped up and he jumped up and like hit the back of someone's helmet or something. <laughs> Yeah. So even Keaton, you know, it's a strength that he doesn't have to unlearn things, but he that also means he's a rookie and has rookie mistakes. And he also said that he trusts his arm talent sometimes too much. Yep. And and JT, you mentioned it, how he has he came in with the the reputation of his mind and his football IQ, but that also gets him in trouble in this offense. So I just think it's interesting. The unique things about each quarterback is their double-edged sword. So. Yeah, that's, that's really, really great point by you. And the duality of it and the battle of using your best asset, but not letting your best asset uh, be a negative at the same time. Yeah. And it's it's interesting that that those are the things that he said are the negatives too. Because those are the those each of those guys that's their best quality in, in his opinion. So that that's their negative too. It's not that there's some other issue. Uh, you know, it's not well. JT's not mobile enough, or Keaton's yeah. not mobile enough, or whatever it may be. Or you know, Matt Fink takes off from the pocket too quickly, like he said about Sears. You know, that it was the things that make them positive are also the things that make them negative, and that that he's harping on those particular things because at least that's what he told us that he told all of them these same exact things. So. You know, it's really interesting what he had to say about those guys and the order that he had to say him in. And <laughs> email us your thoughts about the order. Yeah, we want to hear what you think. If you uh, tweet us or, or email us, you know what you think of the order, if it means anything or not. 
Yeah, we'll see. We got any conspiracy theorists out there? Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't. The other thing, as far as heard it. Um, and Graham Harrell, I thought it was interesting when he was talking about, because this is the last time we're going to talk to him before the fall, and there's a big off-season time for guys to grow. And he, one of the main things he said was, we need the quarterbacks to grow into leaders, both on the field and off the field. And that's something that uh, when Keaton Slovis was asked, what is Graham Harrell preaching to you about? He said one of the main things is becoming a leader and being a guy off the field and being a vocal guy. Um, so I think that's important that that is recognized by Harrell as something that's missing on this offense and something that's needed from USC's quarterback, whoever it may be. Um, so I thought that was a great time by Harrell that I was expecting him to say, you know, getting the playbook down more, getting those reps in with the wide receivers chemistry, yada, yada, yada. I thought it was a, a great catch and call by him to say leadership is really important and it's what this offense needs. So, And we've only said that for the last two years that this offense needs some leadership. Yep. Um, he did. This is what he said. His exact quote: "I tell them their number one, your number one job is to make the guys around you better, and that's not only on the field. That's also by the way you work. They got to see you work and know that you work harder than anyone else, and you embody our core values. So that's what he's talking about. He was talking about you know the leadership off the field, in the weight room, in the locker room. Half the part of being a quarterback is just being a leader, is what Graham Harrell said. So I think that that statement tells you that that's going to play a huge part in this competition." And which of those four guys is going to take over? I mean, which of those guys is going to have the locker room behind them and, you know, just going to be trusted? You can have multiple quarterbacks be leaders. You know, the fact that Holden Thomas was a guy they took on the road, even though he was not healthy for multiple games, tells you that what they thought of him in the locker room and in the quarterback room to be able to break down film or whatever it may be to help out the other quarterbacks. So, can those other guys be that? Even if they don't get named a starter, can you still be that leader? And I think that's a huge part for for this decision. Uh, and, and JT said the same thing. He said that's one of the things that he's worked on. This is is the leadership aspect. And that's one of the things that he's continuing continuing to work on. That was one of the things this uh, spring he wanted to get out of it was leadership. So um, I, I think the quarterbacks realize that that's going to be an important aspect of this competition. And I think just like how adaptability and making adjustments are going to be a key for USC's offensive success. I think leadership is, I don't think you can go forward without having clear leaders on the offense. I also, as we talk about this and the thought that comes to my mind is that is this offense so plug and play, you know, you can put a different guy in there that it's going to be more important who the leader is because yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. each of these guys can make the, you know, there's not a ton of super difficult, you're not throwing 18-yard comeback routes or, you know, super hard dig routes over the middle in between a safety and a linebacker. That it's whichever guy can lead this team and can make the throws consistently. kind of You kind of think all four of these guys can do that. Whichever guy can lead the team might be the guy for this team rather than the guy that might have the most talent. That's an interesting thought. I, yeah. Because, I mean, you look at some of these offenses, and obviously a guy like Patrick Mahomes makes the offense go a lot better, and a guy like Baker Mayfield. But look at all the guys that Texas Tech had in between them, and, and you know, while they were there, Davis Webb, when he was there, like all these guys that are mediocre to good quarterbacks that, you know, they could just plug in. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury and Graham Harrell put up tons and tons of numbers. And they made it to the NFL to sit on a bench for a couple of years. I mean, it's not like they were the elite guys. Now, when you put Mahomes out there, he's my homies too. Um, that you know, he lights up the the Chiefs' offense they got now. But you you wonder if you have 
guys that have good talent but not great talent if they if the leadership is more important than the, having the great talent yeah that's it that's a really interesting question and i wish we could just sit down with graham harrell and his brain <laughs> a little bit just to see you know because he like we said he had such a long answer for the the simple quarterbacks question that i was like as he was talking longer i was like this means less questions for him this means <laughs> so i was just like oh i want to know more but yeah i i really want to know what he's looking at and whatnot but i think that's a good sign and i think i think it seems like becoming a leader on this team on the offense is a hurdle that no one has really jumped yet and so i'm curious if and when that will happen and how that happens i agree i I think that and partly because it's been lacking so much the last two years that if someone takes over that could be the that could be the difference maker yeah i completely i mean go back and re-listen to our podcast we've talked about it ad nauseum it's it's a difference maker but do you think Okay, one, multiple questions, and don't take too long because this is rapid fire to make the okay. point. Do you think the offense has a sense of individualism? In what regard? In the sense that whereas the defense feels like they're more of a united position groups, whereas the offense is playmakers, individual playmakers. Uh, it's partially that, and it's partially because of how low depth there is right now. I think you would definitely say that. But this offense at its peak is – a group of guys and you throw and like Mike Leach would say is, you know, you get equal amount of touches for your five skill players. This offense, do you think USC's prior offenses forced a sense of individualism because there was no real scheme? I don't necessarily think that because there was individualism when Marquise Lee and Robert Woods were here too, because those dudes were dudes. I guess my point is, do you think, a sense of individualism is part of a key to USC's offense, and thus that's why having a leader on offense is hard. No, I don't. I don't think it's that key. Like I don't think it's something where USC you have to have it has to be individualism with this offense. And if it works the way it's supposed to, then you have the team mentality. But have they up until this point have they had a culture of that? Ooh, now that's a different question. That's what I'm trying to ask. Well, you should have asked that before. Sorry. <laughs> I know that's that's a hard question to answer. Have they had a culture of individualism versus team? I would say so because partly because of how they've marketed some of their players too. And that's not necessarily on the coaches, but it just depends on the leaders. It depends on the leaders. Like Sam Darnold was a captain. Sam Darnold's the guy getting the water bucket. Yeah. That's, that's not individualism. True. That's not like Sam's like, yo, freshman, go get that. So it depends on your leaders. Your leaders set the tone for that. Yeah. Your leaders create your culture. I'm thinking myself into circles right now. Yeah, but your leaders, and that comes from the coaching staff at the same time, but the leaders of your team and players and coaches create the culture around. If you don't have leaders on a group like in offense, like it's been the last couple years, it's much easier to be individualized because someone doesn't, bridge the gap and bring everyone together yeah so do you think this offensive scheme can force guys to get over that yeah i think so because if you're rotating enough then you're always rooting for the other guy or is it times when it's 95 percent one player then sometimes you're wishing i hope he cramps up this game so i can get my i can get 10 plays in or something like that yeah i would agree and if your quarterback doesn't look at you when you come in as a backup, like if you remember Daquan Hampton's 
infamous statements about Cody Kessler saying, I was just running my routes to get good tape because I knew he wasn't going to throw to me. Whoa. Whoa that, I mean, you back up from that and go, whoa, what just happened there? Um, but if that's the case, then it's much easier to be separate, you know, to be un or not unorganized, but be not to have that unity, not to have the unity, be individualized and not have unity when your leaders, your quarterbacks and your, you know, Kelly Kessler was a captain. If they're not creating that culture where everyone feels like they're a part of it. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things. I talked about it last week. That's one of the hardest things is to get 110 guys or 105 guys to all be working towards the same goal. And that's what Nick Saban does so well. And that's what is so difficult for coaches because you 18, 22 year olds are all over the place mentally and emotionally and, and physically, you know, as they're growing, get all those people on the same page is, is, is the difficult challenge. It's why it's so difficult for some people to be college coaches. Why some people are really good in the pros and suck in college and the same thing, you know, Vice the versa, opposite yeah. way college yeah. to pro. Agreed. So that will be the key going forward. I really want to watch out for that because if Graham Harrell's making it a priority, especially in determining who will be the starter, I'm curious how that unfolds. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a big part of it. Shall we move on to agree, disagree? Sure, let's go. Number one, USC should have tried to hold a spring game, a real spring game, regardless of depth issues, etc. I disagree because they're not going to do it. So I can't just say you should. They haven't done it in four years, I think now. So I'm just going to go with disagree just because they weren't going to do it. And the fact that they had so many depth, positional depth issues this year with specific positions being really, really thin just made it so it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I would agree, disagree as well. Agree, disagree. No quarterback in the battle has separated himself or had an impressive spring out of all four. I mean, I think you would say Keaton has had the most impressive spring just because we didn't expect it. True. But I would agree that no one has separated enough because they're not going to name a starter. I, that tells you that no one's just taken over their role. Is that concerning to you at all? Did you expect someone like JT to stand out more, given his experience? I don't know, because I, I think that it's such a new offense and kind of things that they're implementing are not necessarily like you're not throwing a ton of deep balls. So it's not like, hey, that guy's connecting on all these deep passes, which he, that's what he was doing last fall with Amon Ra. Yeah. Amon Ra and you're like, wow, they, those two are hooking up all the time. And making throws over the middles and different things like this offense isn't asking, asking you to do all those type things. It's not asking you to be a pro quarterback right now. So I think it makes it harder for someone to stand out um, in the system. Again, I, because it is a plug and play system to an extent, I think it makes it harder to stand out at times too. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, that's a great point. So are they at a disadvantage because of the scheme in that sense? A disadvantage to showing a scout what you can do maybe but winning the job I don't I don't know this is a disadvantage I just think you have to you have to do more than just have elite arm talent you know I think that there's just different things being asked rather than the pro style offense which is why you know I, I think it's such a to an extent such a plug and play that that's why you can put two new tackles in and you don't notice them because you're not asking them to block for six seconds yeah you're not asking each individual to showcase his individual talents at all times, whereas some of the other offenses do, which is why in USC's past, they've had better players, so you can do that. 
Now you're saying, hey, we're going to see what these athletes can do in this system that doesn't ask them to be such individual players all the time. Have you seen that? It's like a viral video slash meme of the physics teacher jumping off a counter and she lands on her whole body and it doesn't hurt as much as if you just landed on one piece of your your body part. I have not seen that. (laughs) She was like, it doesn't hurt. Slam. And like because it it distributes the weight more evenly. Uh So that's in the sense the physics teacher is the air raid offense. When I used to jump off roofs uh, when I was younger, we would just jump off second story roofs for fun. This this is what you do in Georgia for fun when you're... Little rebel shotguns. Eight to ten years old. But you you never land on your feet. You always tuck and roll. You hit you hit your feet. You're you're instead of landing straight on your legs, you let the weight distribute. You know you let the impact distribute the force distribute over your entire body. Same type of thing. Sure. Yeah. You just said another example. My example for the yeah. But I just wanted to point out that I used to jump off roofs. Yeah. I I know. I know you. Um. I don't have any other agree disagree because my final agree disagree was the the Trojans defense is not proven yet. I would agree with that. Yeah. And we already yeah. went into that. We got some questions, though. We do. We have a question on Twitter from Gustavo. Gustavo. Who says, once a starting QB is named sometime in fall, do you guys think that will domino into more transfers with Bryce Young potentially coming next year? That is a good possibility because I think that uh, depending on where Jack Sears and Matt Fink are in their academics, you know, if you feel like if those are one of the guys that aren't just because they're the upperclassmen, but if you're not the starter and you feel like I have an opportunity to start somewhere else, then you make that move. Now, if you don't think you're going to be the starter somewhere else and or if you, football is not that big concern or whatever it may be, then you stick around. But if you want to be the starter, you got to get tape. If you think you're an NFL guy, you got to get tape. You go somewhere else uh, and you grad transfer. Now, it becomes a bigger, I mean, a tougher question for JT or Keaton if they don't win the job because – do you transfer and sit out a year and go somewhere else? That's That becomes the harder question. But if you can grad transfer and you don't have to sit out a year, then you definitely do that if you if that is your – if football is your priority. I think Keaton knew what he was coming into, though. As far as, you know, with Bryce Young coming behind him, yes, I think so. Yeah. But I, I think that's what becomes the issue. Like, if you – if Keaton's like, I've been the best guy out here and he's fourth on the depth chart and you feel like you're being disrespected, that's when it becomes a harder question, though, because yeah. you'll have to sit out the year. Now, the fact that Bryce Young's coming behind him, it's hard to worry about that as a quarterback. It's hard to because, for one, commits are only verbal. When guys are signed, then you start, you know, if, if Bryce signs in the early signing period and the end of the season, then you say, okay, let me evaluate the entire picture now. Yeah. But I, I don't think you really worry about that in the fall. Um, I don't think you'll see anybody necessarily transfer out in the fall. Because it doesn't do you an advantage, especially if you're one of those older guys that, you know, if you're on track to potentially graduate. Yeah. I think when it comes to Sears and Fink specifically, I don't know what they want out of their remaining eligibility. Mm -hmm. You know, whether or not they just want an education, they like USC, they like the fanfare that comes with that. Because, I mean, the options of where they would go to and automatically be a starter are going to be different from USC. So I just don't know what they they want out of their Yeah, and and that also becomes... What is the lay of the land out there? Yeah. Say Jack Sears, if he want to transfer and Duke has an opening for starter quarterback and he has a great relationship with that staff because he was previously committed there, then hey, that that you know it changes the game. Whereas, yeah. you know, the only the, every single starting quarterback is coming back in America except one place, and it's 
I don't know, it's Mississippi State or something. You're like, I don't really know about Mississippi State. I didn't like those coaches before or something. I don't, you know, there could be, there's just a lot of factors there that go into it. But yeah, I think it it definitely is, you don't know exactly what a person wants to get out of their entire collegiate career, collegiate student as a student athlete, you know, both sides of it. Yeah, agreed. We have a question from Richan, Richan, 18. He says, if you had to choose, who do you think will get the most touches? In the backfield. That's a double question, though, because who do I think, and if I had to choose, might be two different answers. Oh, you got two different answers? Is that what you're trying to say? No, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking I was going to toss it to you and think about it while you talked about it. I'm going to still go with Stephen Carr just because I think of his uh, ability to catch the ball in the backfield will make him a dynamic weapon in this offense, and I think that's something they want to do from talking with Mike Jinks. So I think that that gives him the best opportunity. The, the real question becomes the injuries. Uh, yeah. I say it all the time that running backs get hurt, so – you know, if a guy's out for one game versus these guys out for six games, that makes a big difference there. Yep. Agreed. I would say Stephen Carr as the starter. I mean, I like all of them. I think they all bring different things to the table. I think I'm not I'm, saying who's going to start. I'm just saying I think he'll get the most touches oh, because okay. of his ability. You know, because not just carries, it's his ability to catch the ball that gets in the, the touches. I would say Vi, actually. Vi could be, too. I think Vi is more stable at this point. I'm still – there's still a little – a bit of a question mark for me with Stephen Carr. And I think he's the most proven as far as well-roundedness. Whereas I think Marquis step is an interesting wrinkle, but I don't think he is as well-rounded as say Stephen Carr and, and Vi. So I'm going to go with Vi. Okay. You can do that. I'll allow you to be wrong. Oh, <laughs> we're going to revisit this. All right. That's fine. We have one final question from a certain Ryan from Formosa beach <laughs> who also happens to be, with us in studio, Ryan. Hello, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Of course, <laughs> of course we love our fans. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Thanks. Uh, I, I am actually a stock neutral guy. Wow. Uh, yeah. so you love to see. It. One the, but I, I feel bad though. His birthday was closer than yours, so oh, I should probably get. Oh come on. Give... No. All right. Who cares about that? Here's my question for you guys. Yeah. All right. I want you to rank the impact. Ooh. Of the new or moved USC coaches by order of importance Ooh. could be on the field for practice, recruiting, whatever you want. So that would be Graham Harrell, Chad Kay, Mike Jinks. We're taking notes. Joe DeForest, Greg Burns. Those are the new guys. But you also had Kerry Colbert moving over and Tim Drevno moving over. So let me, I'll take your answers off the air. Let me hear, see what you have to say. <laughs> also, do we have to add in um, Baxter going back to tight ends? No. Nah. I wouldn't do that. That's <laughs> the disrespect. Okay. Some disrespect. Great question, Ryan from Hermosa. Glad we, we had a loyal fan on the show. Thank you. After a brief thinking pause, we're back. Shotgun, please list your ranking. Your brief thinking pause. I was no. ready to go. Graham Harrell obviously is number one. You know, the offense is going to run through him. He's going to be the deciding factor there. Tim Drevno is number two. How can Ooh. this offensive line, can they run the ball consistently? Which is also why I have Mike Jinks number three. Because also there's some big-time running backs available in the next couple classes that USC is in contention for. So I think the running backs there. Um, and then I'm going to go Greg Burns because of the recruiting there, the fact that he's been on the been on the recruiting warpath for the last three or four months and has been going after him. And that's a position that USC missed out on some targets the last couple of cycles that they, they really wanted. So getting the – defensive back depth back up and getting the quality depth that they, you know, that they went out and got a bunch of guys or three stars, but can you get those four and five stars back again? Um, and then I've got Chad K behind him. 
the defensive line, but also he's a Polynesian coach. You know, they help help recruit the Polynesian, which maybe he should be up a, a, a spot or two because of that, because of how heavy USC has recruited Polynesian players in the last few cycles. And then I got Kerry Colbert. I think that he's he's near the bottom just because USC is always going to get wide receivers. There's always wide receivers in Southern California. Um, and I think that he doesn't have experience in the air raid offense. So, you know, I don't know that he's a huge asset there as far as, you know, implementing this new offense and going there. I think he can learn perfectly fine. I mean, he's been in several offenses as a player and coach so far as well. And then Joe DeForest at the bottom because, you know, USC's kind of – degraded the uh, the outside linebacker position. There's no longer the true predator position. It's more of a down lineman there. So as outside linebackers coach, how much are you still working with that same group of guys? It seems like that group has shrank as you've moved guys like Kanai Malga and Juliana Falanico to, mil- to the middle linebacker spots as well. So I got him at the bottom. What's your list over there, Keely? Um, kind of similar. I've definitely Harold at the top. That's a given. I have Tim Dredno's Just second. for his WrestleMania takes? Yes. Actually, I do not care about WrestleMania <laughs> at all. I don't know why people do. Sorry. I'm not an AD Stroud. Uh, Tim Dredno, I think that was a needed change. USC's offensive line was such a liability last year. Having Tim Dredno and hearing the, the reviews he's gotten from the players I've talked to is good. Uh, I have Greg Burns as three. I think USC's DB recruiting was as that dire of a situation that having a guy like Burns who can come in and make up ground that quickly is important. I also think his coaching style is a refreshing change for USC's DBs. So I think that is helpful. Fourth, I had Chad K. As I've mentioned before on this podcast, I've been impressed talking to him. And I think, again, a fresh change with the D-line for those guys is good, especially just his change in philosophy on weight and, and all that. Fifth, I had Jinx. And no disrespect to Mike Jinx. I just think USC has had running backs cycle through coaches for the last like five years. And USC's running backs are going to be good. You know, I think Dylan McCullough, that definitely is an advantage. And you want a guy like that. But I don't think it makes as big of a difference as someone like, say, Drevno or whatnot. Someone like Drevno who was the running backs coach last year. True. Yeah, there you go. Sixth, I had Kerry Colbert. Same re- reasoning as you, especially when compared to the experience that T. Martin had. I don't know if it's an necessarily an upgrade, especially what you said about the air raid offense. And then seventh, DeForest. We talked about it. We're not really sure. It's kind of the question mark of the group. So that's my order. So the re- part of the reason why I had Jinx above uh, Burns and, and Chad K, which is basically the only difference that we had, is also the implementation of the the air raid offense and that he's the guy that can stay on the field and Graham Harrell is up on on top of the field. And also, I mean, John David Baker has a, a big impact as well as being yeah. eyes on the field as well. But I think Jinx's experience in the air raid help, needs to be up higher just because the immediate impact he can have with the offense on there too. Yeah, that's a great point. I would accept that. You should. I hate you. There was one more question on Twitter. I don't know if you saw oh, this one. but no, go for it. Uh, Jack asked, uh, was Helton brought back just to give Urban Meyer a year off to recuperate? I know I'm searching and grasping for any explanation, but I still can't think of any other reason, especially with reports on how the spring has been run. At least Jack I, knows that he's searching and grasping. Yeah, but I don't uh, especially with the reports of how the spring has been run. Does, oh, I didn't even catch that. No, I don't understand what Jack's up to. It doesn't, I mean, it's not, we felt like they were making positive strides, so I don't, I don't know where that last, you know, uh, Phrase came from no, he was not brought back. He just wants Urban Meyer. It's clear. That's true. He was not brought back to give Urban Meyer a year off to recuperate. Those type of deals don't happen. 
And if you try to make one of those deals like, hey, if we give you a year off and can you come in next year, you know, because we're probably going to get rid of this guy, something would inevitably fall apart. So those deals just, you can't make a deal with college football coaches a year in advance that is just a, you know, handshake agreement. That doesn't work. You know how you just have questions you just don't even want to approach? I just don't like approaching Urban Meyer. Yeah, I just I just don't like Urban Meyer. Well, it's the whole hypothetical coach thing. There is a not a vacant position right now. There's no shady backdoor dealings right now. I don't want to approach this. How but if that? you want a shady backdoor dealings, Urban Meyer might be your guy. I'm not a fan of Urban Meyer. I, th- I think I've said this before, I but the, the fact that you know controversy surrounds his programs continuously. Yep. I and also he was at Florida and I grew up a Georgia fan. So that probably has something to do with it too. That's That would also <laughs> do with it. Yeah. But yeah, no me gusta. Any final thoughts wrapping up this podcast? No, I'm excited to see the last couple of practices and, and see where we're at on Saturday and what Clay Hilton has to say about what his final thoughts of the spring are and, you know, what is the plan going forward? Yeah, I know. It's weird. We're heading into sailing into summer, which oh. will be interesting. I didn't plan that. But well done, Keely. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have a podcast next week wrapping up spring camp and talking about big picture overall uh, evaluations, reviews of spring, and maybe even revisit what we said about our previews of spring practice and positions and, and kind of revisit all of that now that we've seen five weeks of camp. Um, but thanks so much for listening. Uh, that's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. One last thing. Oh, what's up? Team Juju or Team AB? Oh, come on. It's not even a question. <laughs> Juju on that beat. It's not, that's not even a question. You, this is where you say what your, your feelings. You just said my feelings. I didn't know that. Mm, yeah, got it. Okay. Peace out. Home Scout.